we've been on Zoom for like five to six minutes, but I had to deal with Sam and Joe earlier today on Twitter, so they're already making my head hurt. But uh, that's how that's going. What's up, guys? Welcome into the Fireside Bears podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Fireside Bears. You know us as the host behind this show. My name's Usain Coach. You can follow me on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram at Usain Coach. Go follow Sam on Twitter at Shy Sports Sam. I have no idea why every time I plug in Shy Sports. Sam, I think back to your old Twitter handle, SJ Steve Nine. Steve Nine. Uh, and then follow okay. Joe Herf on Twitter at Joseph Herf NFL. It's funny, man, because a couple of years ago, an NFL scout or a former NFL scout told me that whoever adds on NFL to the end of their Twitter handle seemingly has made it big and has a vast array of football knowledge. It's probably why I decided to recruit Joe for this podcast, but uh, guys, how are we doing today? And I know you guys were at the game on Saturday and like saw each other. Yes. I mean, now that we figured out that I was sitting on the same bus on the way back and didn't realize it was Joe. Um, But uh, I'm good. I went to training camp today, which was a lot of fun uh, today being Tuesday um and uh yeah it's been a lot of bear stuff the past like few days um saturday i definitely have some thoughts but we're gonna get to that in a little bit joe how are you doing i'm good man yeah it's kind of funny that i so i was sitting on the bus and i was you know i was holding on because i was the one standing and i just like turned around to look at my brother because you were sitting right next to my younger brother was turned i around really? to look at him yeah right next to him. Oh my he was God. right to your okay. right and so i turned around and i saw the mvp shirt and i was like I only know one person who said they're wearing that shirt today, and it has to be Sam, right? I only saw one other person at Soldier Field, like when I was around wearing it. Yeah, I actually saw somebody in the train station too wearing it. And I thought, I was like, okay, Sam isn't the only one. I love it. I love it. But so, I, yeah, seeing you on the bus was kind of crazy. The game was uh, definitely interesting, and we'll get into that. I won't say too much now because I know I'm going to go on a rant later. But uh, it was a good time regardless. Uh, it's always a good time to be at Soldier Field with the environment, regardless of the outcome, it's always, uh, especially with preseason, it's always a good time. And shout out to the Bills fans that were there. They were pretty cool. I, I uh, a couple of them complimented the shirt for sure. But uh, Bills fans, you guys, you guys know how to cheer for your team. That was, uh, that was pretty cool to see how many Bills fans were there. I think there was probably more Bills fans there than there were Miami fans last week. So, or two weeks now at this point. But the Bills fans that were there, shout out to them. They were, they were really cool. At least the ones I interacted with. Yeah, Bills fans are one of the most diehard and passionate fan bases, and I respect the hell out of that franchise because, I mean, it was technically a poverty franchise for so long, but the Bills are living proof that, one, with the right coaching staff as well as the right front office, you can make it work with a young rookie quarterback. Now, what we'll do is this, right? I mean, just debriefing from the game here before we get into the actual show, I'll say my biggest takeaway, and by the way, we recap the game on our YouTube channel, myself and Max Smith, so go check that out. That's on there. I'm going to say this right now. My biggest takeaway was that I know it was only preseason, but Mitch looked like a quarterback who was playing with more confidence being with Brian Dable and behind Josh Allen in Buffalo than he ever looked in four seasons in Chicago. I mean, I was at home watching the broadcast, and that's stuff I noticed. Joe, I'm going to hand it off to you. Did you notice the different attitude, different vibe from Mitch at all? Because he seemingly seemed like a refreshed quarterback. Yeah, 100%. I, uh, I came into it thinking this is going to go one of two ways. This is either going to go very poorly for Mitch, and he's going to get booed out of Chicago and everybody on Twitter is going to explode, or he's going to light it up and everyone's going to ignore it on Bears Twitter because they're going to pass it off as preseason. And he did light it up, and he looked more calm and composed in the pocket than I've ever seen him. 
I didn't see a whole lot of happy feet out of him. I saw him get a really incredible scramble where he was getting the pocket absolutely collapsed. I believe like three rushers were coming at him and he somehow got out of it. I believe he got a gain out of it as well on a run. He made some crazy good throws. None of it. He didn't take many shots. He took one shot downfield and it wasn't in completion. Uh, he had a few really good balls into tight windows uh, to his to a lot of uh, a lot of not very good receivers either. And people say Fields kind of struggled with his receivers because they were practice squad players and backups. Mitch didn't play with his top three receivers, and he looked very sharp, very good. He commanded the offense. He four straight scoring drives. It was a very good job by him overall. I mean, the one thing I, I will give credit to Bills offense coordinator Brian DeBall. He he scripted a hell of a game. Um, but at the end of the day, like you got to be able to execute those plays. And that's what Mitch did. And, and, you know, there's definitely a small part of me that it continues to root for Mitch. He was the Bears quarterback for, you know, a few years. And he was a guy that for some time I believed in to be, you know, the Bears long-term deal, you know, long-term guy. And obviously, you know, part of the blame of the falling out with Mitch is definitely on him, but I agree with Joe. Like this, this was definitely a quarterback that did not look like the same quarterback that I was used to watching come Sundays at Soldier Field. Mitch Trubisky looked a lot more confident. And listen, those offense ran circles around the defense, even when Mitch was not in the game. And it was one of those moments where there are definitely some exposure moments uh, against the defense. Again, you know, considering how many starters played at the first half of that game, but um, you know, I think Trubisky looked very good. I think that's the best way to say it. And again, it is preseason, so I don't want to overreact to it. Josh Allen is and will be their quarterback for a long time, but from the looks of it, Mitch Trubisky looks like a pretty solid backup quarterback, and I think he's going to find his way back into a starting role sooner rather than people think, but we're not here to talk about Mitch Trubisky. We're here to talk about the bad things that happened to the Bears, unfortunately. But in terms of that, I think Mitch looked really good. Bill's offense looked really good. And I think the Bills defense looked really good as well. I think both quarterbacks struggled quite a bit, but for a lot of other reasons, obviously. Obviously, if Matt Nagy gets fired, and this is the last point I'm going to make about Mitch Trubisky. So if Matt Nagy gets fired, and we'll get into Matt later as well and whether or not he's an issue, Brian Dable would be my number one choice for Bears head coach next year because I think a lot of people are seemingly forgetting that when – we look at the 2018 draft class. I mean, there were everyone at the time had considered, and I was scouting at that time, but everyone considered Baker Mayfield to be a home run hit, which with the right people around him and the right coaching staff, Baker Mayfield has become a home run hitter. Josh Rosen, we thought was going to be immensely talented. And Josh Rosen was my QB three in that drop. But I think what happened with Josh is he got thrown into some really bad situations. I mean, the Cardinals, I think people talk about Josh Rosen's issues being specifically Josh Rosen's attitude and all that. We're forgetting he was a highly productive and a very talented quarterback at UCLA. But when you throw him into that situation that the Cardinals put him in, there was just almost a guarantee he was going to be ruined. Because you remember after that 2017 season, I mean, Bruce Arians went ahead and retired and kind of moved on. And then there was a mass roster purge going on with the Cardinals. And they had the worst roster in the NFL, which is exactly why they were picking number one overall in 2019. And there weren't really any long-term building blocks outside of, you could argue, guys like Chandler Jones. And then... You you look at Lamar Jackson, 
you know, there were so many doubts about Lamar Jackson. What does he do? He ends up slipping all the way to 32, and he got put into such a good situation. I mean, with guys like Greg Roman, and then the, I believe he's got John Harbaugh's in Baltimore right now. So Lamar ultimately got drafted to a franchise that just has a history of succeeding. And then you look at Sam Darnold. Now, Sam was, again, really talented as well. Some people were calling him Philip Rivers 2.0. I certainly see the comparison. But the Jets were a really bad franchise at the time, and they just had no building blocks. And last but not least, Josh was the most doubted quarterback that year. There were people that had third, fourth, fifth round grades on him. But the Bills have done a phenomenal job. And so I think it just really speaks to the point that I'm always going to, you know, it speaks to the point because Brian Dable and Sean McDermott, they didn't just take the high road and say, all right, let's hurry up and do this. No, they kind of slowed things down and they're like, hey, we're going to build this thing the right way. Um, every, anything and everything that we do is going to revolve around Josh Allen. So that's why you need to be keeping an eye on Brian Dable. But getting back to the Bears here, and Sam, I'm going to start with you on this one. I mean, when you have 10 penalties for 73 yards, miss, you're missing tackles left and right. All right. Wide receivers are seemingly running the wrong routes, or they are just not releasing fast enough. You can't get anything going. Your QB1 in Andy Dalton that you signed for $10 million this offseason, what happens is this. is He goes three and out on three of the first four possessions, and then he has a 73-yard touchdown. Let's be honest, you got lucky with that one. All right, Andy? Other than that, you really sunk the bet up. Why aren't the Bears emphasizing details, Sam? Because we hear details, details, details every single year, but we're going into year four with an offensive guru as a head coach, and yet the Bears just seemingly keep making the same mistakes in 2021 that we saw in 2020 and 2019. I think one of the things that's it's so interesting this year is, is when I look at the preseason outlook, Matt Nagy's opinion about how the preseason should be worked and how like when to play as starters, if to play as starters has changed uh, quite dramatically. I remember in 2019, he chose to sit his starters and I think that impacted the team. In terms of attention to details, it I don't want to say it's bad coaching, but I don't know where else you kind of look to and point to. Listen, I understand that it's, you know, we're dealing with COVID still, and I understand that, you know, it, it's it's been a little difficult. But, like, this is kind of the, you know, last season was a lot harder on guys, I think, in my opinion, than this season in terms of training, in terms of just the small things, in terms of, learning the game in terms of, of just, you know, being in, in meetings and stuff. I don't know what excuse you can make at this point for the sloppiness of everything. That's the best way to describe it. Listen, guys make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. I understand that. And I understand that, you know, the bears definitely had moments that looked good and just weren't executed perfectly, but like things like missed tackles on punts and, and guys not understanding assignments and, and dumb penalties and stuff. There is no excuse for that. And, and I'll be honest, the bears did lose a bit of their core coaching staff this past off season. And I think it does play a factor a little bit. I'm not saying the bears are undisciplined. I'm not saying that our coaching staff is horrendous. I'm not, I don't want to implement that, but you have to look to the coaching staff and you have to look to Matt Nagy here because there is no excuse. That team that came out on Saturday was a bad football team. I understand it's preseason. I understand it's a lot of guys. You know, these are the games for guys to get reps, for coaches to evaluate talent. I understand that. But it was also the moment to 
allow your starters their first kind of quote unquote dress rehearsal. And they didn't look great. Now I understand there was injuries on the offensive line. The bears, you know, today in training camp did bring out what is probably going to be their starting offensive line. And they looked pretty good, but again, at the end of the day, you know, that's one element of a lot of errors and, and just, Again, I think the biggest thing you have to look to is you have to look to the coaching staff and you have to look to Matt Nagy. It starts there because there is no excuse for the poor effort and the little attention to details. Yeah, I'm with you completely. Like the Bears just did not look disciplined at all. And they haven't looked very disciplined the past last season, the year before that. In my opinion, they have not looked very disciplined. I mean, you see Javon Williams throwing punches in games. You see Anthony Miller throwing a punch in the playoffs in an important game when receivers are down. It just translates like it just, in my opinion, it seems like Nagy has lost this locker room. Like they just don't seem to care. Like on the example of the first touchdown of the game where Devin Singletary on fourth down got past Robert Quinn, Eddie Jackson did not seem to care, which again, it's preseason. Can't be totally upset about it. The guy's protecting his body for the entire season, but that wasn't just Eddie Jackson. It seemed like nobody really cared anywhere except for just a few given players that are just fighting for their jobs. And even the ones that are fighting for their jobs, Jumped off sides, had false starts, had pass interference, just tons of penalties all over the field. Like you were saying, 10 penalties for over 70 yards. That's unacceptable. I don't care if it's preseason. The Bills didn't touch that. I believe they had like four penalties maybe. I don't think they had a whole lot. And just the fact that the Bears just never look disciplined or prepared for any game ever. They always come off sluggish in the first half. They always try and bounce back in the second half and have a horrible third quarter to start it. Like last season where they barely scored in the third quarter, they never seemed prepared to come out of a locker room and play a game. And it translates. And then the other issue I had too was the fact that Andy Dalton started an entire half, which I'll get into this more, but you can't just say we're going to start our starters starting quarterback for an entire half, but not give him any of his starting weapons, give him a missed, give give him a like a constructed offensive line of backups. It's just so weird to not have Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney playing two snaps, Marquise Goodwin playing one snap. What good does that do? And then you go out and say that the preseason does not matter for Andy Dalton's evaluation. Then why are you playing him? Just so many just confusing details that Nagy just keeps twisting back and forth. I just get confused, and I don't think he actually knows what he's doing. I I, want to touch back on something that you said. You you brought up guys, you know, quote unquote, not caring and, and, and coming out and trying to make adjustments and the failure in that. I saw elements of that towards the end of the season. You bring up Eddie Jackson. He's a perfect example. You look at the tape, Eddie Jackson at the end of last season, that man couldn't care less. I'm sorry. Might've been something with an injury. It might've just been a mentality thing. I understand the guy got a big contract. I don't want to say that was an element of it, but there were moments in games where I was like, Guys don't care, and it, it's starting to overlap. And I looked, I was at the game on Saturday with my sister, and I looked at her and I just go, they should put the second team defense in because you know they're going to be going 100%. Not to say that their talent isn't any better, because again, we want to emphasize it is preseason. Like these are just mental reps for a lot of these guys. But, you know, what's going to happen against the Rams if the defense comes out like this? A Matt Stafford led LA Rams team can put up a lot of points. And you got people talking about how great the Bears defense has been. And, and obviously it's not just on the defensive side of all. I'll address the offense in a moment here, but you talk about great. The defense is, but like when an F with a piss poor effort that it was on Saturday, that's a defense. that's going to struggle come, you know, Sunday night football. And in terms of the offense, like just, it, it seems like they finally have 
a guy that they can work with, right? Nagy was a part of the evaluation process. Both guys agreed Fields was going to be the guy. It should the cards fall properly. And, and it just seems like they don't, I don't know if it's a hesitation or if it's a, an uh, ace in the sleeve should jobs start to come on the line. Well, whoa, we have fields. We still need to continue developing him or whatever, but it just seems like there's no concrete plan. And I, and I talked about this months ago before Justin Fields, when it was Andy Dalton and Nick Foles. And I was frustrated with Ryan Pace. Cause I was like, there seems to be no concrete plan for what the bears want to do. Are they retooling? Are they rebuilding? Or do they think they can make another run at this? with the roster they currently have. This Bears defense is going to start declining. That's just how defenses work. You don't, nothing lasts forever. And now that question falls onto Matt Nagy and the coaching staff. It seems like they have their guy in fields. It seems like there's a concrete plan. Develop fields. See if you can figure this thing out in the next couple of years. You know, you're not going to win a Super Bowl in 2021, but if fields plays well, that window reopens. And it just seems like Nagy is all over the place. It, it, to your point, it feels like he doesn't know what he's doing. And, and it's, it's so frustrating because you look at last year and how much blame I listened to, I was listening to part of my take and Mitch Trubisky was talking about the struggles that he had in Chicago. And he mentioned like, when you play quarterback, things go well, you get a lot of credit. And when things go wrong, you get a lot of blame. And I think we can all agree. Mitch took a lot of blame last year and some of it he deserved, but where do you put the blame here at this point? Because it's not all Andy Dalton's fault. He signed with this team, was told he was going to be the starter, and then they drafted a guy who arguably can start over him. And it seems like they're they're keeping promises. This is a business. Justin Fields is your ticket to success. It just it it seems like they just don't know what they're doing. It's the best way to put it, and it's frustrating. It's very very frustrating. Yeah, look, I'll add this on. I mean, looking at the whole situation, we have to keep in mind is that part of the reason the defense stunk it up on Saturday afternoon was because key starters like Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan, Eddie Goldman weren't playing. Now, I know everyone has complaints about that first touchdown that Robert Quinn seemingly missed and just kind of like gave up on Eddie Jackson, missed the tackle. We have to keep in mind is that if Roquan Smith was in that game, his side in on that play, his sideline to sideline speed would have for sure shut the whole thing down. And then a lot of the bigger runs that Buffalo had, I mean, those would have been situations where you're like, okay, if Eddie Goldman was playing, then this whole thing big run kind of would not have happened, but just getting back to the details point here, it's frustrating because most of our veterans on this team are going into what year four, year five, some cases, even year six playing together. And yet we are still seeing the same issues pop up time and time again. And it's just really exclusive to the Matt Nagy era. It's just like, why can't we figure it out? Why can't we get it done? Look, good coaching staffs are naturally just going to have coaches poached that are going to go on to become head coaches and, you know, high level position for other teams. But in the bears case, it's unique because the head guy seemingly seems to be the big problem. And again, it's just like, look, Sean Desai was an in-house promotion. So when 
you look at him, I mean, can you really blame him? Because I think, yeah, you can for this game because you didn't get it done. And yet Sean's been here since 2013. He's seen this defense be built from the ground up from the first defensive player, Ryan Pace drafted and Eddie Goldman all the way to the trade for Khalil Mack, the drafting of Roquan Smith, the signings of guys like Tashawn Gibson, the drafting of guys like Jalen Johnson, the release of Kyle Fuller. Sean's seen this entire defense be built from the ground up. And then you get the offensive side of the ball. It's just like, what are you doing? You know, you hired Mike Helfrich to run the spread offense. Well, that didn't work. And then you hired Bill Lazor and... um John Filippo, because, and then you brought Nick Foles, that didn't work either. And now you bring in another quarterback that is familiar with Bill Lazor, your offensive coordinator, and it seemingly still isn't working. And I'm referring to Andy Dalton, by the way. And then add in the fact that the offensive line had so many missed assignments, I don't get what's going on that in either. I get all these injuries have kind of forced the Bears to use a makeshift offensive line. And I wrote this on Fireside Bears about how the only silver lining to all these injuries is we're getting an opportunity to evaluate all this depth. But even that depth really stunk it up at times. And then ultimately you look at it, Juan Castillo is a guy who has worked heavily under Andy Reid in the past. And I believe he was in Philadelphia when Matt Nagy was there. So when you look at this whole thing, it's just like coaches and everyone's kind of familiar with each other. But the reality the situation is it's still not working and at the end of the day the blame does need to be pointed on the head coach sam you brought up mitch trubisky listen mitch had his ups and downs in chicago he was by no means perfect and before we move on here one final point i'm going to make is this you have to really ask yourself hey did matt Nagy legitimately put these players in a position to succeed because what we saw on saturday from mitch was really different compared to anything we've seen in 2019 and 2020. And it really makes me question, Hey, who's the real issue here? Is it Matt Nagy or was it always the quarterbacks? And let's just keep this in mind before I hand it off to Joe here. This is a fan base that kind of loves to go ahead and basically bludgeon the quarterback when things are going wrong. I mean, they did the same thing with Jay Cutler. They trashed Rex Grossman and Mike Lennon and Kyle Orton and pretty much anyone who's been under center for the last 20 seasons for the Bears. And now it's just like you look at it, things aren't going right. Well, everyone's going to blame Andy Dalton, which some of the blame does go to Andy because you can't sound super confident in those press conferences. Like, you know what the hell you're talking about and then completely stink it up. But I'm going to hand it off to Joe here. Is Matt Nagy the real issue? You're going to get me going. I got to I got to get deep breath before Hurricane I start talking Joe, about it. Here we go. Oh, man. I just wrote I had to take out my anger after that game on a on a four page article just talking about how Nagy is completely the issue. So yeah, I will say 100% Nagy is the issue. Uh, I've been saying it since about middle of 2019 that he's been the issue, that he plays guys like Rashad Coward for way too many games. He likes to blame people when he has his issues. When the run game's not working, he fires his run game coordinator, his offensive line coach, his offensive coordinator, fires everybody, brings in an entire new staff, and it's still not working. He blames the quarterback and Mitch Trubisky. And then he says, okay, I'm going to go get my guy in Nick Foles. Puts in Nick Foles, it's even worse. Brings Trubisky back in, goes to Bill Lazor's offense, and all of a sudden it's better. Then says, okay, I don't like that. Let's go back to my offense. In the last two weeks of the season, when we're playing the Green Bay Packers in the last game of the season, and then the New Orleans Saints in the playoffs, let's see how that works. How did that work? Not very well. We lost both games. And our offense was putrid in both those games compared to the weeks before when we had four straight games of 30-plus points for the first time in 
I don't even know how long. Nagy is completely the issue, and he can't develop players. He Every player that will and has left, in my opinion, will always do better 90% of the time, unless, the, unless there's injury, unless they've already been broken by Nagy. Um, even guys like Adam Shaheen, he seems valuable to the Dolphins. He's a guy that is not very good here in Chicago. He always got hurt. Even when he got his chances, he wasn't that good. And the Dolphins, he may not put up the stats, but he's valuable, and they like to use him a lot. And they like to keep him around, even though they have a pretty deep tight end group. Guys like um, Cornelius Lucas, who was our swing tackle, didn't even get a chance to really play for us very much. But when he played, he looked good. Goes to the Washington football team last year, and he was absolutely outstanding for them at offensive tackle. I mean, we might see the same thing from Charles Leno this year, who's also on the Washington football team now. And we're just going to keep seeing these more and more as players leave. Jordan Howard was a guy that the Bears were smart to move on from, and Matt Nagy was actually right about. He obviously is not that good, and he cannot get a starting job or land anywhere. But Nagy just keeps blaming more and more people every year and comes up with more excuses as to why his offense has not worked. And at some point, we have to finally sit down and say, okay, maybe it's just you. Like, I've just had enough of all, all the blaming and people getting fired, people losing their jobs because he can't do his job. Yeah, when you look at that 30-point explosion, and again, the Bears had, Joe, like you mentioned, it was scoring 30 or more points for the first time since 1965. I mean, that's like a 50- to 60-year stretch at this point. But what I realized going back and watching that offense was that, number one, if Justin Fields is going to start, it should be the exact same offense that the Bears are going to run specifically because you don't know how the offensive line is going to look. And you're not just going to throw everything on Justin Fields' plate. You need to be smart about it. So that Bill Lazor offense was is kind of the one that needs to be run here because schematically it just seems like the Bears are trying to do a lot of the same going into 2021. But number two, let me add this on. That offense, was it fancy by any means? No. Were there a couple big plays? Yeah, like the one deep shot to Darnell Mooney in week 17 where I think he absolutely burned Darnell Savage. And then Darnell Savage got really salty on Twitter about it after the whole beef with Jalen Ramsey went down. But the point is, is that offense may not have been the fanciest or the flashiest but you know what it was efficient you saw guys like david montgomery kind of going ahead and saying hey listen you know what i'm getting more production this way i'm in a situation where i'm able to basically get a couple more yards this offense is more catered to my skill set and we really weren't seeing that also let me give you guys some numbers so 50 games that Matt Nagy's been the head coach. And I'm saying 50 meaningful games between 48 regular season games and then two playoff games. The Bears have scored one touchdown or less 18 times. That's absolutely bad for a head coach that's labeled as an offensive guru. And I know we're going to sit here and talk about, oh, well, it's this was an issue and this was an issue and the Bears dealt with injuries and Anthony Miller, blah, blah, blah. You have to keep in mind that great coaches put average players in a position to succeed. And Matt Nagy just absolutely did not do that. And Saturday, I think I said this earlier on the podcast, but I'm going to bring it back again. 
it was basically a summary of what 2019 and 2020 was. And the worst part is some of our first and second string guys, AKA players that are pretty much guaranteed roster spots for the most part, you know what? They look bad against Buffalo's threes and fours. So that's another red flag that you have to look at is, is there any legitimate accountability? So uh, I'm going to play a little devil's advocate here to some of the points you guys said. Um, I'm not fully defending Matt Nagy. Um, I do agree. A lot of the blame is going to go to him, but uh, you talk about guys going to different teams and kind of having a resurgence. It happens as well. When guys come to the bears, Mario Edwards is a great example. Alec Ogletree has been going on this year. Guys sometimes just find better situations. So I don't totally put all that blame on Nagy. I also don't totally blame that aspect of things on Nagy as well. A lot of that is also on Ryan Pace, cutting the wrong guys sometimes, signing the wrong guys sometimes. I mean, a great example is a Leonard Floyd, Robert Quinn situation. I blame Pace for that over Nagy. But, but what I will say is even, even when the Bears, you know, the Bears were scoring 30 points a game last year in that span of four games, regardless of the, the tier of the defense that they were playing, it was, teams with you know defenses that weren't great things were still working and and for me i go back to when Nagy was in kansas city that last year um i believe that last year mahomes was a rookie and they lost that game because of their offense the titans were in a no position going to win that game prior to the start of that game that was a game that the titans were the underdogs everyone had them written off and a lot of the reason why they ended up winning that game over the Chiefs was because of the offense. Who was the offense coordinator at the time? Matt Nagy. So I, I just don't, I don't know. Like it, it's like he's an obsessed little old man, and he has to have everything go his way, and he can't take blame. And and it's one of those things where it's like it's very hard to defend him at this point because. 2018, he was the offensive guru and the offense looked good. And, and he was, you know, he's doing all these trick plays like the, the Santa special, whatever it was with uh, what's his name. I can't think of the offensive lineman uh, converted to tight end. I can't think of his name. If you guys know, tell me. Bradley Sowell. I remember. Thank just you. Remembered. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but, but then it's like everyone figured out what he was doing. Brad Santa Slay. Thank you. You said everyone figured him out because NFL defenses got better. You have to remember, Vic Vangio went and got a head coaching job after this. People learned how to stop these offenses, and it's like he never adapted. I understand he wasn't here when Mitch Trubisky was selected. I, I get that. He didn't have a say in that matter. But you agreed to come be the head coach of this team, knowing that Mitch was going to be the guy. I, you, a while ago, we brought up Lamar Jackson. This is a perfect example. John Harbaugh changed his entire offense for Lamar Jackson. He went from Joe Flacco to Lamar Jackson, and he changed everything. Bill Belichick has changed aspects of the Patriots offense every year to work with Tom Brady and last year, Cam Newton, and for the future, Mac Jones. Why? Because that's what good head coaches do. They adjust. They look at their situation. They say, okay, we have this. We don't have this. What can we do that will get us successful in football games? doesn't always necessarily work. It might take a year. It might take some adjustments. Nagy never does that. He never makes adjustments until he is against the wall, 
you know, about to be put and exposed and he knows that his job's on the line. And that's frustrating because you look at teams that are now successful. The Buffalo Bills are a great example. They changed their entire offense for Josh Allen. They brought in pieces to help him out because they believe in him taking the next step. It doesn't always work, but good coaching staffs know how to work with what they got. Even if it doesn't mean necessarily, you know, short-term success within the season, but you look at Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, that team, probably the most injuries in the NFL. I mean, didn't they lose like half their starting defense before the season even started? Everyone, they didn't have their starting quarterback the majority of the season. Kyle Shanahan still made it work with what he had. Matt Nagy's never done that. And, And that's the biggest thing that makes me think that at this point, if he can't get this offense to work, he's got to be out of Chicago. Yeah, I absolutely love that you brought up the scheming to the players that you have on your roster. Because I look around the NFL and I see all these good teams and everybody schemes to every good team schemes the talent they have. Whether that's the Tennessee Titans, they absolutely changed their offense to Ryan Tannehill's skill set and they made a top 10 quarterback out of Ryan Tannehill who was arguably like basically in the same position as Mr. Trubisky, where he had about one good season that he earned. I mean, he earned a contract extension, unlike Trubisky. And then after that, he ended up getting, I believe, traded for like a second round pick, if I, I remember was, correctly. I, I believe, yes. Yeah, something like that. And he was kind of labeled as a bust. And he became the backup to Marcus Mariota in Tennessee. And then when the Titans eventually catered their offense to his skill set, they absolutely took off as a team. They went on a winning streak, they ended up making the playoffs, and now they're considered one of the top teams in the AFC because of that. And and like you were saying, I love that you brought up Shanahan too because that dude makes a great offense. I, I love the way he constructs his team because he builds it around the offensive line that he loves to construct. That, that's the strength. He doesn't care who's that quarterback. He doesn't care who's that running back. All he cares about is having a good tight end that can do everything and receivers that, that get open and use downfield speed that take their shots. So with that... They have, you see guys like Raheem Mostert, who was an undrafted free agent, bounced around five teams, looked like a top 10 running back near the end of that season. I believe in 2018, I think it was that they made the Super Bowl, or 2019, 2019. Yeah, 2019 when they lost to the Chiefs. Yep. So, yeah. And Mostert looked like a elite running back because of the offense, because of the scheme, and because Shanahan schemes to his talent. You see the Green Bay Packers with Matt LaFleur. Matt LaFleur schemes his offense with Rodgers. He takes Rodgers in and he runs an offense that he knows Rodgers will like, and he caters it to that. And he caters it to Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones looks like a great running back. I believe he's a fifth-round pick. You just see every good team doing that. Cleveland Browns is a, as a more recent team as well. They just got their new head coach in Kevin Stefanski. The first thing he does, he schemes his offense so Baker Mayfield can do best. He goes heavy personnel a lot with a lot of uh, two tight end sets and 12 personnel, and he runs the heck out of the ball and makes – Baker Mayfield do a lot of play action behind an elite offensive line. That's all I'm asking for from Nagy is to just cater. Because when you see Trubisky get catered to on the Bills, he gets put into a rhythm. They do their hurry up. We, we've been begging for years to have Matt Nagy run a hurry up offense with Trubisky, have him throw quick passes to get a rhythm going. And then once he gets a rhythm going, he's hard to stop. That's why when you see him in two minute offense, he's lights out. And that's why everybody made like the memes and the jokes that he was that two minute Mitch was impossible to stop because when he gets in a rhythm, he is very hard to stop. And that's what the bills did. They ran the hurry up offense to start in that first quarter and Trubisky drove down the field and scored. He ran the hurry up offense with quick passes on a little, on a little bit of RPOs, a little bit of quick slants, uh, short throws of their tight ends. 
And that's just what good coaches do. I love that you brought it up because I just wanted to go on a little tangent about that. Well, and, and the one thing I want to add before we go back to you said here is, is to the point of I wish Nagy would adjust things, you know your offensive line isn't great. Again, I, I said I was at practice today that the presumed starters look good. Obviously, it's practice, so things can change. But with Jason Peters and Jermaine Ifedi and James Daniels all back, it looks solid. I'll say maybe top fifteen. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna gas them out too much. They're gonna be fine. But if you know your offensive line is struggling, the Bears' offensive line in 2020 saw some hits, saw some COVID issues. Do you know what makes a starting offensive line that struggles? not struggle as much a mobile quarterback who can get outside of the pocket, who can read a defense and can make adjustments. Who has done that better in the preseason games? Justin Fields. He did it today in practice too. He looked so much better when the pocket collapsed, getting out. He's mobile. He's fast. He's very, very fast, but he reads the defense. He makes adjustments. He, he knows when to call guys back. He knows when he has to adjust things. Your mobility and your quarterback and your scheming to allow your offensive line to not feel like they have to stand there for seven seconds will make you more successful. And it's nothing to to exclude Andy Dalton. Dalton's had his moments, but be honest, this Bears offensive line isn't a top 10 unit. It may not even be top 15. Maybe it's a top 20 unit. I don't know, but that's a lot of wishful thinking. It wasn't in 2020. It wasn't in 2019. Your receiving core has been okay at most. It's not to say that they're going to be terrible this year, but outside of Mooney and Robinson, it's a lot of what ifs with guys like Marquise Goodwin and Demir Bird and who knows who else. I'm just saying at some point, like the blueprints are there for adjustments and his stubbornness is going to lose his job. And when we talk about adjustments, we have to understand is that the adjustments are made way too late or they're never made at all. I mean, look at that Monday night game that Bill Lazor called against the Vikings where Nick Foles got injured. And at that point, I mean, I was at the point where I was basically saying, hey, Matt Nagy's incompetence has gotten someone injured here. We have to understand is we're not trying to rag on Nagy here. We're just providing objective analysis, but it's like that game. Bill Lazor is calling plays. Absolutely zero adjustments were made throughout the game. And then Sam, you kind of mentioned the two playoff games. I mean, or I'm sorry, the one playoff game against the saints where Nagy was calling plays. Everything that Mitch Trubisky struggled with in that game Matt Nagy ended up doing when you're going empty set, you probably know that you have a quite look when you're going empty set and there's no one back there to protect the quarterback. What happens is, um, you know, the defense is looking over and saying, Hey, we need to blitz this guy and blitz the heck out of this guy because this is going to be a free play that we're going to end up winning. Okay. My bad. It was Joe that said the thing, but Joe's also like really frozen on my screen right now. Cause the internet's like kind of wishy-washy in my area because of the weather. Jank. Yeah. Jank internet. Yeah. Jank. Is that a Gen Z term? I don't know. <laughs> All right. I saw some TikTok where some like 40 year old teacher dude, um, you know, introducing her class and stuff like first day of school type thing. And like Gen Z terms. And I was like, could totally imagine Stevenson doing this for some reason. But anyways, the point is, is, 
getting back to it here before we move on that it's just like it's gotten to the point where you just got to temper your expectations and every week that you go in you don't know what's going to happen because Matt Nagy could call a really good game or he could call a really bad game and you guys mentioned scheming I mean look scheming is one scheming and scheming effectively is one thing but scheming to your player's strengths is another thing completely. And Matt just hasn't done that in the past. And it was really evident on Saturday where seeming it just, what it looked like was this is that everything seemed to go wrong for the bears. I mean, there were a lot of duds and my number one dud, and then I'll bounce it over to you, Sam was Elijah Wilkinson. When you look at Elijah Wilkinson, we have to keep in mind is that this is a player that is traditionally played right guard and right tackle in the NFL. So the right side of the offensive line is all Elijah Wilkinson knows. Now why the bears are trying to make him a left tackle is just beyond me because it's shown time and time again. And Saturday, was the biggest example of this is that it's not working it's not working and you do wonder hey could a guy like Larry Borum look more effectively there well guess what Larry actually did look pretty good I think there are only one or two snaps where Borum was playing in the fourth quarter where he got beat but other than that he held his own down but I don't it just like Elijah Wilkinson's my dud and I do not want to see him play left tackle again for the bears because at that point you're just shooting yourself in the foot and the best teams and the best coaching staffs never make the same mistake twice. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I don't want to, you know, keep harping on the offense line, but both my duds do come from the right side of the ball. Um, although I don't know if this second guy played guard on either side, but regardless, um, is my two duds are uh, Arlington Hambright and Lachavia Simmons, two 2027th round picks from last year. Um, really, the only other moves the Bears made to address the offensive line last year outside of signing Jermaine Ifedi. Lachavia Simmons, at least 10 plus plays, was getting absolutely pushed back against the Bills' ones, twos, and threes. He, he just he wasn't able to stay in front of his guy. His, his footwork doesn't look great. And Arlington Hambright just kept getting penalized on ridiculous things. And it's one of those things where you have to look at Ryan Pace a little bit and understand like this was a part of his solution to fix the offensive line, even if they were just depth pieces. Both of those guys are currently probably second stringers, maybe, and neither of them looked very good. Now, I do want to touch on Larry Borman really quickly before we before I go to you, Joe, because honestly, both those guys just were not good on the offensive line. But Larry Borum, interestingly enough, got a lot of reps with the ones today's in training camp as well with the twos. I definitely think there's a case for him to potentially be, whether it be the backup or potentially gain the start if he can beat Jason Peters out. At left tackle, I think he looks solid, and I think there's definitely work to be done. But in terms of the right side of the ball, Arlington Hambright and Latavius Simmons, I hope that there's not a situation where the Bears need to utilize either of them because, good Lord, they have taken no steps in terms of progress. Yeah, and I was a fan of Arlington Hambright, at least for his limited fashion. We saw him last season on the Titans. I just want to touch on that a little bit. Uh, he looked decently solid, and he showed a lot of promise in – his aggression and run blocking, his pass blocking was a little iffy, but yeah, he did look poor. He looked really poor on Saturday. Uh, I'll change it up since we kind of just addressed offensive line. I'll go a little bit defense here. Kendall Vildor kind of disappointed me. Uh, he got the start on Saturday across from Jalen Johnson on the opposite side. And I believe the first three throws of Trubisky were all at Vildor and they were all completions. And he just kept giving up completion after completion. 
I believe he had a missed tackle. Don't don't hold me to that, but I believe yeah, he had a missed right. tackle that was pretty yeah. pretty bad. And he just didn't seem like he wanted to even hit anybody either. And then later in the game, he got outperformed by Artie Burns. And I thought Artie Burns looked really good just to touch on, a, I guess, a stud of mine. He looked really good. And I believe he should get a shot after that game to be with the ones a little bit. I heard he was running with the ones today, which is good to hear. I would like to see him run with the ones on Saturday as well. But Vildor just looked really poor. He, he, he had a really bad setback from his game against the Dolphins in which he looked solid. It's just I was very disappointed with him. And if he plays like that and the secondary plays like the way they did, I'm not looking forward to this season at all. It's going to be bad if the secondary play like they did on Saturday. I'll tell you what. I, I Again, Vildor was a guy that got a lot of hype in training camp and OTAs. And, you know, he was definitely a guy, I think, last year that kind of got thrown to the wolves. And we thought that experience was going to be good. But, yeah, he he looked very, very disappointing on Saturday. I remember the missed tackle. It ended up being a huge gain because of that missed tackle, which should have been just like a quick three-yard gain. Ended up being close to 12 to 15 he did make a nice play later in the game to stop a huge game. But at the end of the day, like if that's the guy opposite of Jalen Johnson and he's playing like that, like I've been saying it for a while, this Bears secondary scares me, but that's just to add on to that builder point. I think that's a good one for sure. Yeah. Look, when you look at the entire secondary, I mean, it absolutely sucked. And we, we, the problem with this whole secondary and I think the entire defense is people are giving it an unfair evaluation because it's kind of like I mentioned. I mean, a lot of the starters were out now had the, and again, great front sevens are able to mask issues that exist within the secondary. So when, Roquan Smith, Eddie Goldman, and Danny Trevathan are out, like I mentioned at the start of the podcast when we were talking about like details and stuff. You have to keep in mind is that definitely had an effect on the secondary because the pass rush just wasn't at full strength. But then again, I mean, we're talking about Kendall Vildor or Desmond Trufant, who's going to hold down the CB2 spot. And all of a sudden, you do have to wonder, well, could someone such as you know, and already burns to it. Who's going to be the next guy that steps up in the secondary. And that's why this weekend against Tennessee, as well as what's going to go on against, or what will happen in the two weeks after Tennessee leading up to September 12th. I mean, those are going to be some really critical weeks because the bears just can't afford to open the season playing an explosive offense, like the Rams with a much more upgraded quarterback in Matthew Stafford compared to Jared Goff, and then absolutely just get decimated in the secondary because you could argue right now the secondary and the cornerbacks are, well, the cornerbacks are part of the secondary, but cornerback is arguably, arguably one of the weakest positional groups on the roster right now, which, by the way, side note, Jalen Johnson's confidence. I understand he got beat, but I said this on our YouTube show with Max. I'll say it again. Jalen Johnson's confidence is through the roof this year, and that's very apparent. And for people who are complaining about he got beat, Richard Sherman, Jalen Ramsey, Darrell Rivas have all been beaten at points in their career. Do not sit there and act like Jalen Johnson should be like the exception to the rule or something. But hey, listen, guys, the Bears are going to be playing Tennessee this weekend. We got a couple more things to talk about here. I mean, Joe, what's one player on this offense or on the bears that you're watching for who's one player. So I'm going to have two because the first one is an if I don't know if Jermaine, if Eddie's going to play, um, if he does, he's my player to watch. I'd like to see how he looks coming back from his injury and I'm really high on him this season. So I won't touch on him a lot because that's even if he plays, uh, if he does not play, I'm kind of looking for Thomas Graham. He looked very good in his limited fashion. On Saturday as well, he had that near interception that had the entire sideline going crazy near the end of the game. 
He looked very solid in coverage. Uh, I mean, with the way Duke Shelley played, I know I hyped him up last week, but he had a kind of an off day, and so did Kendall Vildor as well. With the way those two played this past week, he could have a shot at competing for that nickel corner spot still, and he's still trying to compete for playing time. I mean, like I said, that cornerback two position is still open, in my opinion. Artie Burns might step up and do it and take it. Kendall Vildor is obviously still the front runner. Desmond Trufant's been out uh, due to, uh, I believe, I... I heard a report that his father passed. So uh, obviously that's horrible to hear. And obviously that's totally okay that he's missing time for it, but that position is still open. And I believe it's a completely open competition. And Graham still has a shot if he plays the way he did to step up and keep playing well. So I'm going to definitely take a look to him, especially as the Titans, especially if they play their good receivers, they have a pretty deep wide receiver group. I'd like to see a matchup against a guy like Josh Reynolds, who isn't a starter and could get some significant playing time. That's actually a really, really good one. I, I, I know one thing I noticed today in camp, um, Thomas Graham Jr., the reps he gets, he makes plays in the ball. Like he, he didn't have any picks today, but probably had two or three pass breakups, one that Riley really made a nice catch on today. And, and I think that was a pick six he had. I, I, I don't care. I got called back. That looked like a pick six in my eyes. That was, that was a hell of a play by him. When he plays, man, he's, he plays well, but. Uh, a guy I'm going to be keeping an eye on for me personally is a Charles Snowden. I know this is a guy that you said likes a lot, but uh, James Vauders, I believe, is still currently dealing with an injury, meaning that Snowden's probably going to get a lot more reps. When he's out there, he plays well. He plays. <laughs> Sorry, you said something funny. Um, he's a big guy, very tall. I mean, I saw him at camp today. Like, he is. He, if, if football never works out for him, he should be on an NBA basketball court. Holy smokes, he's a big dude. And he's got a lot of really raw potential in him. And, and when he's played, he's brought really good pressure. Um, he's made some plays. Uh, I, I think in all honesty, like Charles Snowden is a guy to definitely watch because, you know, this edge rush group is going to probably be seeing an overhaul pretty soon. Robert Quinn will probably not be a bear next year. We don't know what we have in Travis Gibson, although apparently he was the highest graded player in that game on Saturday, uh, according to PFF, which is great. I, we're hoping for Travis Gibson to take a big step up. But outside of that, the Bears have never really had awesome depth behind their edge rushers. And it would be nice to find a guy like Snowden, should he be able to put on another nice performance in Tennessee. Obviously, I know that's wishful thinking, but when I've watched him play, he looks productive and he looks solid. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes either. I would love, you know, I'm definitely going to be keeping my eye on him because he's a guy I would love to make this roster. Yeah, for me, it's weird because I mentioned him and I'm going to bring him back again. But I love the guys you mentioned. Shout outs to Charles Snowden because he's literally Leonard Floyd 2.0. But I'm watching Larry Borm because this left tackle conundrum has been going on since pretty much day one of training camp. And everyone kind of thought that, look, it was going to be Tevin Jenkins job to lose. And now we're realizing it's anybody's job to win between Wilkinson, even though I personally don't think he should be there, and then Larry Borum as well as Jason Peters. But you look at this love tackle situation. I mean, give me Larry Borum as a player to watch against Tennessee this Saturday. We look at the few reps that he played. He looked pretty solid. I mentioned he got beaten a couple times. But ultimately, when you look at the Bears right now, I mean, they need to get this left tackle spot solidified because one common theme, and this is prevalent throughout all 31 NFL teams, not including the Bears, is that the great teams have continuity at the left tackle position. The great teams have continuity along the offensive line. Do the Bears have some continuity? Yes, but it's on the interior because you are bringing back James Daniels, Cody Whitehair, as well as Sam Mustafer. 
But the tackle spots where, again, all the speed comes off the edge in the NFL, that's the biggest issue. So, so I do have a question for you guys I want to ask you really quickly here because I think Larry Borum has been a, a subject of discussion. Hypothetically speaking, let's say Larry Borum is able to earn the starting job and he's able to kind of have a solid rookie outing. I know it's wishful thinking. Tevin Jenkins returns potentially in 2022, maybe late 2021. Do you continue with the plan of having Jenkins convert to left tackle? I know both guys played right tackle. Or do you have Jenkins go back to the right tackle spot? I've seen some discourse on Twitter. I'm just curious what your guys' thoughts are. I know it's a hypothetical situation, but say Borum is able to play the left tackle spot well this year. I won't say great. I won't say fantastic, well, solid, whatever, productive. Do you keep him at left tackle and switch Jenkins to the right side of the ball? I'll go first on this because... I'm pretty high on Jenkins as he was one of my top offensive tackles in the drafts. I believe he's a right tackle though. And I believe in the NFL these days that the left tackle and the right tackle are equally as valuable. And you kind of saw that in the Kansas city chiefs where they had Mitchell Schwartz as their right tackle, arguably the best offensive tackle in the NFL. And he was on the right side. I don't think it really matters what side you play. I think it matters what side you're better at. And if Larry Borum shows a productive job at left tackle this season as a fifth round rookie, keep him there. Why not let him play there? Keep leave Jenkins at right tackle. And if Borm starts to struggle, then maybe check out Jenkins. I mean, regardless, I don't think Borm's going to play much this year anyway due to Jason Peters, unless an injury, of course. But if he is productive, I mean, why change anything up? I mean, I know Nagy likes to do that. I know he likes to do stupid things like that, and he might do that. But I think that he should say left tackle if he's as good as he is. And Jenkins is more built for right tackle anyway due to his run blocking ability and his sort of issues in the pass blocking field that he has, I feel like right tackle is just a better fit for him. Look, ultimately for me, continuity is one of the most underrated factors that we talk about in the NFL. And we talk about offenses that need to build, and we talk about really good offenses being built. Continuity all across the board is one of the things that they have, and that's not just continuity at the quarterback positions. Continuity at key spots such as wide receiver, especially left tackle. I mean, when we look at some of these teams that have won the Super Bowl over the last couple of years, they've had a solid, stable presence at the left tackle position, and the Bears are pretty much lacking that. So if Larry Borum goes out and he absolutely just lights the world on fire with this being the starting left tackle, then you know what? You absolutely move Tevin Jenkins back to the right side because, Joe, one thing you didn't mention was just that Jermaine Ifedi's only here on a one-year $5 million deal. So after this season, we're going to have a void. The Bears will have a void to fill, essentially. And you know what? Quite frankly, we have to keep in mind that that right tackle spot, maybe you just move Jenkins back there because maybe you look at this whole thing and you realize, you know what? There's absolutely no point in trying to reshuffle the offensive line again because the Bears need to build towards continuity. They need to do what's best for Justin Fields, and that's part of this continuity. And so if Borum excels, why would you even bother making the switch knowing that your rookie quarterback or your young quarterback, I should say, already has a year's worth of really good chemistry with Borum as the main blindside protector? That's a very good point, actually, that you made, especially about the continuity. That's the first thing I want to talk about. Uh, Continuity in the offensive line, like you said, is the most important thing. If you have a healthy offensive line that plays all 17 games together and is consistent, I mean, we saw how bad it was last year when we had all those injuries. And then once we got that continuity with Mustafer at center, uh, Cody Whitehair at guard, and Alex Bars at the other guard position, we looked very good. Like, we looked like a very solid offensive line. And that was because of the continuity that we had and the natural positions for everybody. So I agree with you completely on that. And then the other point, too, about Ifedi as well, very good point that you made that he is only on a one-year deal. I did forget that. 
I do believe if he plays well enough, he might get an extension, which then he could get moved to guard. But then we're going to have a lot of competitions brewing as well. Regardless, I think he'd be at least a very high-end swing tackle, which would be very nice, and just a guy who can fill in anywhere on the offensive line, given his experience at guard and tackle. So I would like to keep him around regardless of Jenkins being healthy or not. And the fact that he's coming back from a back surgery, it would be nice to have very good stability at tackle. And like I said, continuity. If we keep Ifedi around, it'd be very nice to have that continuity and the fact that he has familiarity with the offense and everybody else on the line and has that bond that he's created over the past then two seasons with us. And I, I have no issue with creating competition at the offensive line. I'll tell you what. And the the idea that Bears might have potentially drafted two starter this year in the offensive line, that would be a wishful thinking for sure. But yeah, just curious about those thoughts because I do believe that Borum can definitely be a key guy to this offensive line. He's looked good. He hasn't looked great. He definitely has things to work on, but he got a lot of reps with the ones today. And I think they're going to continue to allow him to compete against Jason Peters. I think ultimately it's Peter's job for now, but Peters is a 39-year-old veteran and uh, Borum is the rookie who has a lot of potential. You know, Peter spoke to the media on Monday and he, for the first time since signing, and he pretty much said, he's just like, look, I'm here to compete for a starting gig, obviously, but if I don't get it, it's totally okay. I'll be totally fine with being a mentor and being a backup. And so Jason Peters right now is kind of like the Andy Dalton to Justin Fields for this entire young offensive line, because after Jason Peters, your second most experienced guy is Cody Whitehair. And Kind of a bit of a newsflash here, but I think a lot of fans don't know this. Jermaine, I fed you, there's only one first-round pick on this team right now. Or, I'm sorry, there's only one first-round pick on the offensive line right now, and that's actually Jermaine Ifedi. Everyone else was drafted second round or after that, and then Jason Peters was an undrafted free agent signing with Buffalo in 2004. Listen, guys, when the Bears take on Tennessee, I mean, Justin Fields is starting, and I kind of put a polarizing take out there on Twitter. Now, Bears Twitter is just polarizing in general. Do you guys legitimately think that Fields starting week three of the preseason against Tennessee matters, considering he's probably going to be playing with twos, threes, and fours and not necessarily the ones because Matt Nagy did basically say, hey, we're going to be very selective as who plays. And Matt Nagy also said they're going to treat week three of preseason like they would used to treat week four of preseason, where all the twos, threes, and fours would dress and none of the ones would go ahead, Sam. I think it will be important in terms of him playing with the presumed starters, um, because should the offensive line be productive and be cohesive, more time for fields, the better. I think ultimately what we've learned with Fields is that he elevates guys, makes guys look better, and he allows guys to be, you know, successful. That's what a good rookie quarterback does. Um, obviously, you know, it's frustrating because it would be both fun, but also good for Justin to work with guys like Allen Robinson, to work guys with Darnell Mooney, uh, Marquise Goodwin, Cole Komet. Um, but I mean, he has found success with guys like Jesse James, like Rodney Adams, both who are guys that deserve to be on this roster. So, you know, it's one of those things where I'm going to be excited to watch him play because I'm always excited to watch him play. It's been fun to watch him play in the preseason. And ultimately, he is going to be the Bears starting quarterback this year at some point. I just don't believe there's a situation where Dalton is going to play all 17 games. Um, it obviously feels like one of those things where it's like, what's the point? Because Andy's been named the week one starter. But listen, take things out of context of this season. Just enjoy it. Enjoy watching him play. Enjoy watching him work. And 
And again, I think having, you know, the importance of him meshing with this offensive line with the guys, you know, there's going to be guys in that offensive line he's going to be playing with next year, potentially. I think that's important. And I think it's more of a test for them than it is for him. But, you know, this is an opportunity for a bounce back game. I believe that the Tennessee Titans defense is not as good as the Buffalo Bills defense. And I think Justin can be productive if the offensive line plays well, no matter who he's throwing to, I think he's going to be productive. You made a good point as well on the offensive line of developing some sort of bond with them. I believe that some of the starters will play or some at least starters, like you were saying, next season, like Larry Borum. Uh, I believe Sam Mustafer might start as well at center. That would be my guess since he's still trying to get some more experience. And like I said earlier, Jermaine Ifedi might start as well at right tackle. And if that's the case, that'd be the best offensive line field to played against this preseason. So I think that's a big deal as well, that he actually has some decent protection for once. And on top of that, he might be playing more with guys like uh, Demir Bird, who he hasn't really played much with yet, at least from my understanding. He's more played with guys, as we said earlier, like Chris Lacey, John Vea Johnson, Rodney Adams, who actually is pretty good, and then other guys like Riley Ridley, Javon Wims. So to see him with like a guy like Demir Bird and to see him possibly with Cole Komet if he plays and maybe Damian Williams if he plays as well, it'd be nice to see him with some people that actually know what they're kind of doing. I mean, maybe the worst offensive line who could start against on week three would be probably Arlington Hambright if he starts at right guard um, I or left guard, whichever. I don't think Cody Whitehair plays, so if he plays for him. And then on the fact that the Titans' defense is not very good, so they might be trying to get some practice in this week three game before the season starts, and actually they might play most of their starters because they've been having a high turnover uh, rate at their defensive positions, and they just have not been very good the past few years. They've been making a lot of changes. They just lost to Dory Jackson, their main cornerback, and – I believe their defense is just not very good. So they might try and develop some continuity there and play most of their starters. So to see him play against actually some, regardless, main backups or starters on defense will be very good for him. And like you were saying, Sam, to develop some some habits with guys that he might be playing with next year and for his career. Look, over, I think for me, it matters and it doesn't matter. Now, I'll go into why it doesn't matter first. It, field starting in week three of the preseason doesn't matter if you're just going to throw out all the, these guys like a Javon Wims, for example, or, you know, Sam, I hate to rag on your guy, but Jesper Horstead or a Scooter Harrington, or even let's just say Ryan Null. If you're going to throw those guys out there on offense, there's absolutely zero point in you even throwing Justin Fields out there because you know that most of the guys that I just mentioned and countless others probably are not going to be on the roster come the end of next week. But if you're going to throw out a couple guys here and there, say like a Demir Bird or a Marquise Goodwin or an Allen Robinson for even a couple snaps, and you're going to basically let Justin go ahead and play the first two quarters of the game, see what he can do, see what he can't do, kind of put him in situations that you've been running in camp. Take, for example, like a two-minute drill situation, for example. That is what will allow you to go ahead and ensure that Justin Fields' starting actually matters. Because I understand people talk about preseason games all the time as just being these dress rehearsals but we also have to understand is that it's a good opportunity to evaluate the roster now the bears are also doing justin a disservice by not getting him live game reps with the ones because justin fields is not going to be working with guys like rodney adams and john vea johnson in the regular season i mean i love both of those guys but those are not going to be justin's primary weapons justin's primary weapons are going to include robinson mooney goodwin 
David Montgomery, Cole Komet, Jimmy Graham. Those are going to be your primary weapons. So you need to get Justin out there. So kind of to round out here, it's just like it matters, but it also doesn't matter because it's all going to con- be contingent on which of the players are you legitimately interested in throwing out there. And then you talk about the defensive side of the ball. Are you going to play less starters on defense, kind of let Tennessee go ahead, possibly rack you know, rack a quick lead up and then see, hey, how does Justin play from behind? Because last week against Buffalo was unfair. It was not Justin's fault that someone gave up like 25 or 41 total points and that he had to basically play from like what seemed like a 35-point deficit the entire time. Yeah, one more thing I forgot to add as well. It'll be interesting to see how the offense comes out because obviously the past two preseason games we've seen and most time we see Matt Nagy's offense they come out to start start the game, lackluster, three and out, no scoring drives. They rarely score on their first drive. I'm really interested. I think it'll be a big deal if Justin Fields comes out on the first drive, marches down the field, and gets a touchdown. That will be a huge deal because of how often that does not happen with this Bears offense. So the fact that that could happen, and I think that will be a majority of what's going on is how – the offense looks at least for the first quarter. Cause just like I was saying, how, how bad we are early to start games and then how bad we are to start third quarters. So we don't adjust well to teams. I just want to see how fields looks with little to no adjustment from Nagy as usual and little to no game prep because it's preseason. Obviously I'm interested to see how the offense looks and if he can march them down the field and score or at least get a drive going. Cause I don't think I don't want three now both his first drives, maybe his first two, if he could just get a drive going, that's already a step up from anything Dalton ever did in the preseason right there alone. And it helps that the Bears actually have a kicker that can make field goals. So, hey, you start that first drive with a field goal, you're not going to make it. Cairo Santos is, you know, you know what you have in Cairo Santos. So that'd be nice, right? And maybe start a drive with more than zero points. So um, I, I, it is one of those things where it's like it feels like it doesn't matter. But I think every rep for Justin Fields matters at this point. And, and you know, even if it's one half of a game, I hope he puts up 50. I hope he puts up 50 and Nat Nagy is shaking in his shoes because God help me if Andy Dalton sucks week one, Bears are going to be after Nagy's head. Well, and deservedly so. Listen, Justin starting matters, but also doesn't matter kind of like we just debated. But what does matter is you guys checking out our sponsor, Audacious Sports. Get your back to school stickers, guys. Get your Justin Fields sticker pack. Mine is still sitting on my shelf i have not even used it for anything yet but anyways make sure you're following us on twitter youtube facebook tiktok and instagram at fireside bears you can follow me on twitter youtube facebook tiktok and instagram at usaid kosho follow sam and joe on twitter at shy sports sam and at joseph earth nfl we're gonna be back next week guys that's gonna be our second to last podcast before the regular season officially kicks off but the season's gonna be here it's gonna approach quicker than you guys expect it's gonna be a fun one so keep an eye out for all the content that we're gonna be dropping between this weekly podcast articles stuff that we're gonna be doing on youtube with myself and max smith we might bring on a couple more people to the team to kind of continue to expand our coverage but good morning good evening and good night wherever you may be go ahead and stay safe bear down ladies and gentlemen we'll catch you guys next week peace out bear down Thank you.